0: time to you, God, and we ask that your spirit would move in our hearts, uh, Lord, and as we celebrate this day being Mother's Day, God, I pray that you would remind us of the plan that you have for moms, Lord, that the moms here would all feel uh, encouraged and just blessed by you, uh, God, and at the same time challenged as you challenge moms, and we know that you challenge moms, uh, God, but we just pray that you would go before us during this message, um, uh, that even though we're Folks and our moms, we recognize that all these things uh, apply to many of us uh, as well. Lord, so please speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, some of you are moms. Many of you have moms. Some of you used to be a mom. Regardless of where you fall in those various categories, we're going to look in the Bible to see God's general plan for moms. And specifically, we're going to focus on the story of Hannah and her literally being challenged and raised up by the Lord to become a mom. See, God, he absolutely loves mom. He has a special place and a special role for moms. Specifically with Hannah, we're going to see how the Lord breaks this mom just to bless her later on. Title of this teaching, God breaks and blesses moms. God breaks and blesses moms. It's tough being a mom. Not that I can say from personal experience, but I have a mom and I know what I put her through. I'm married to a mom and I know many moms and it's difficult there are some heavy burdensome loads that moms are called to bear but we see God and his perfect plan for moms he loves them so much And often he walks them through those challenging seasons time and time again, all in an effort to build them up and prepare them for the blessing of having children among other blessings. See, God, and the plan that he's had for mom since the beginning is absolutely profound. If you recall, if you were with us on our Seder dinner... Uh, the first thing that really happens during a Seder meal, a traditional Passover meal, is the woman of the house lights the candle. Why? Because it's for us to recognize that through the woman, literally the light of the world came into this world. Through a woman, through Mary, God brought forth Jesus. Literally, God's redemptive plan for this world it initially came through a woman, if you will, and women, especially moms, have a special place in God's heart and in his plan. Let's look at the text. It's first Samuel chapter one verse one. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So we see here this man Elkanah has these two wives, right? Okay, the Bible's not condoning this. The Bible doesn't condone polygamy. God never says, go therefore and have multiple wives. In fact, he says the opposite, specifically for leaders or kings. He says, don't multiply for yourself wives. When we look at polygamy in the Bible, it's actually contradictory to God's heart. When God created Adam and then Eve, he said "The two shall become one flesh, not the three, not the four, not the five and we also see throughout scripture there's always a negative connotation when it comes to polygamy okay when a husband has multiple wives it brings multiple problems we see it from the beginning uh, with Abraham with Sarah and Hagar we see it with Leah and Rachel we see it with David and his wives and we see it with Solomon and his 700 wives and 300 concubines like how do you even keep track of that right that's absolutely crazy to me, and it says that his wife turned his heart away from the Lord. The point is the Bible isn't condoning polygamy, but the focus here. Specifically, is that one of these wives had children, Peninnah, and the other one wasn't able to have children. Now, this is a huge deal. Being barren in that culture was considered a curse, not by God, but by the traditions of man. Why? Because of one of the Lord's original commands that he gave humankind, specifically Adam and Eve, what did he tell them? Be fruitful and multiply. So a woman who was barren was considered to be in sin because she couldn't have a child and she couldn't be fruitful and multiply. So they looked down on women who didn't have children. They weren't very sympathetic for those who were barren. It was a huge deal back then. And I know for some it's a huge deal now. Maybe not in our culture like it was in Israel But there are some moms, or sorry, some ladies that I know that that can't be moms. They've tried, they've done everything they can, and it just doesn't happen for some reason. The Lord has closed that individual's womb. Now we'll see later on that there was a specific purpose uh and why God closed Hannah's womb that we'll get into later but what we see God doing through the closing of Hannah's womb is he's actually testing her faith and he's ultimately challenging her. So point number 1, mom has challenges. Mom has challenges. Not only is she barren, we're going to see the other wife is going to make fun of her and provoke her constantly. Hannah had many challenges. And I know moms across the board have significant challenges. Whether you are a mom... Whether you have a mom, whether you are going to become a mom, moms, they have serious challenges. Now, why does God challenge moms? Well, generally, and yeah, there's some specifics in each situation, but generally, the Bible teaches us that in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, the reason why people are challenged. It says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing the purpose of the challenge is to mature the believer specifically in this context the mom god is doing this testing or performing this testing in hannah's life to prepare her for being a mother. He's preparing her for motherhood. Why? How is that? She needs to learn how to trust the Lord before she can have a child. And when we look at our moms or our wives maybe that are moms or the moms that we know, I think we can agree on one thing. There are many challenges that moms have to face that most dads or most men never have to face. For Elizabeth, when I see how dedicated she is to our son, Jude, it's absolutely astonishing. It's me. She's a better parent than me. She really is. She, she's the one that when Jude is sick and he's waking up at night, 99.9% of the time, she's the one that gets up and takes care of him. And then occasionally she'll be tired. She'll, hey, can you take him this time? Okay, absolutely. You did it a hundred times. I can, I can do it once. And I try to be the best father that I can be, but Elizabeth just takes the bull by the horns and she embraces the Challenges Because she recognizes that the Lord is using the challenges of motherhood in her life ultimately to mature her and grow her up as a daughter of the living God. Man, mom's got challenges. And I know Elizabeth has challenges with Jude. Some of you are probably thinking he's not even one yet. Just wait till he's a teenager and then you'll see the challenges, right? And I was thinking about that. I was like, man, you know, I'm not really looking forward to the time that Jude's a teenager. Hopefully he's a great kid, but if he's anything like I was, I'm absolutely terrified. I put my mom through the worst of the worst. Like I was completely horrible to my mom and the way I lived my life from a teenager all the way up till I was 25. I'm going to tell you a really embarrassing story that I haven't told very many people Um, so this is how bad it was if you don't know I was uh, severely addicted to opiates for I don't know five six years of my life Uh, and uh, before I accepted the Lord and got clean uh, I uh, had this encounter with my mom so I was stealing my mom's jewelry and selling it to a pawn shop okay I was working I was making good money but I could not you know there wasn't enough money in the world that could support my habit at this point. So I'm stealing her heirloom jewelry from from grandparents and you name it, I'm selling it to this pawn shop. Well, one day I get off of work and I'm, I'm going through withdrawals. Um, and uh, so I need to go get my fix, right? So I pull up to my neighborhood. I lived in an apartment and there's my mom in the front of my neighborhood. She proceeds to follow me to my apartment. She asks me to get in the car and she says, where is it? go, playing dumb? Where is what? I know exactly what she's talking about. She's like, where's my jewelry? What'd you do with it? I was like, I took it to the pawn shop. She goes, show me. So I get in the car with her. She takes me to the, uh I'm sure where the pawn shop is because she wants to get it back. Then she proceeds to drive me back to their house, my parents' house. And I'm like, she goes, you need to go to rehab. And I'm like, yeah, I know I need to go to rehab, but not tonight, right? I'm not going tonight. I'll go later. I like, I'll go tomorrow, but right now I'm sick and I need something to make me not sick. So... My mom, because she loves me, she starts, she still is taking me to their house. And I'm not having it. You can't force someone to go to rehab. Well, you kind of can. You could baker act them. But I, I wasn't willing to do it at that point. So we're driving 45 miles per hour down the road in Jensen Beach Boulevard and I jumped out of the car. I jumped out of the car and I shattered my wrist. I have all kinds of metal plates and pins in here. It was absolutely horrific. Okay, I just got out of work. I had a button-down white shirt. I'm all dirty. My arm is like hanging like this. It was tremendously painful. Well, my mom does a u-turn and she pulls up she said i'll take you back home okay i get it you're not going to go tonight uh and then right after that a cop pulled up okay and the cop he was looking for someone that stole something down the street i promise it wasn't me okay he was looking for someone else and and he pulls up and he's like is everything okay and i'm covered in dirt my arms hanging and and my mom's like yeah everything's okay my mom could have easily said Take this kid to jail. He just stole from me. Take him to jail. But my mom knew at that point, another visit to jail wasn't going to change me. I needed something more. I needed something different. Obviously, what I needed was the Lord. The point is, though, moms have various challenges. We put our moms through it. And sometimes we put our wives through it. But being a mom has its own struggles, its own difficulties. See, Hannah, even before she became a mom, she had the challenges being provoked by this other woman. And on top of that, not able to be a mom yet. First Samuel chapter 1. Verse 3, this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whatever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, And to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. elkanah he's a legit dude. A very faithful man. Um. And we see uh, he's providing for his family. He provides for uh, Peninnah, and he also provides for her children. Uh, but then he gives a double portion to Hannah because he loved her more. I don't know if this is exactly fair, uh, but this was the reality. Even though she couldn't be a mom at this point, her husband still provided for her. This is point number two. Moms deserve to be taken care of. Moms deserve to be taken care of. When you consider... All that many of our moms have done for us, the sacrifices, the time, the effort, the energy, all those different things. Moms deserve that same type of care. They deserve that same type of love. They deserve to be provided for. In fact, it was Jesus On the cross, just before he was about to die, one of his dying requests was this. It's John chapter 19 verse 26. He says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, speaking of John, standing by, he said, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. When he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Think about this. Jesus, he's already been beaten. He's been scourged. Crown of thorns, the whole deal. He's going through suffering like we've never experienced before. And what's he thinking about? I need to make sure my mom's taken care of. I need to make sure mom's okay because I'm not going to be here anymore. And that's his dying request that his mother is taken care of. This was the love that Jesus had for his mom. See, Jesus is the way. He's the way to be a son amongst the ways of, of many different things that Jesus shows us how to do. But this is the same type of heart that we should have for our moms. And I know not all of us had a mom like Mary. But the reality of it is, the Lord shows us how to be a good child of a mom, and He makes sure that she's taken care of. In fact, the Bible says that we ought to take care of moms. It's First Timothy chapter 5. In First Timothy chapter 5, the context is widows, okay? So basically moms who their husbands have passed. But he says this in the same context. In First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Literally, that's what the Bible said. So if you have a mom that isn't able to provide for herself, your own, he's talking about your family, if you don't take care of he yourself, you're worse than an unbeliever. Like, that is crazy. That is a, a deep, challenging exhortation from the Apostle Paul. He's given weight to the fact that moms deserve to be taken care of because they do. They deserve to be loved on. They deserve to be prayed for, they deserve to be provided for, they deserve uh, our, our time and our effort and our energy. See, Elkanah, he took care of Hannah. And it says this, I'll reread it, verse 5, first Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Even though, culturally, it was like, okay, she's must be a sinner or cursed or whatever, which wasn't the Lord's uh, idea about it. That's not how we saw it, as we explained earlier. But we see Elkanah still loved her, even though her womb was closed and she was barren. See... This was again a significant challenge for Hannah and she probably didn't know. Maybe she assumed like the culture. Maybe God is mad at me. Maybe He hates me. Maybe He's judging me for something that I did and that's why He won't let me to have, cho- let me have children. But we see that's exactly the opposite of what would come to pass later on in this chapter. God, as I mentioned, He intentionally closed Hannah's womb for a time. Why? Because in God, closing Hannah's womb, we'll see he brings her to a place of brokenness. And because she gets to a place of brokenness, she makes a vow to God. Lord, if you give me a male child, I'll dedicate him to you for life. That male child ends up being Samuel, who ends up being the priest and the judge and the prophet of Israel. Guess what Samuel does? He anoints King David. And guess who comes from the lineage of King David? Jesus Christ. See this challenge for Hannah specifically wasn't just a harm her it was to help her and not just her it was to truly fulfill the promise that was made way back to Abraham that I'm going to bless all the nations through your seed. Hannah is a significant part of God's plan. Had she not been barren and gone through that She's sorrowful, she's so sad, she's mourning, she's grieving. Had she not gone through all of that, she wouldn't have been a part of the plan that God had originally intended. See, God is going to use her suffering for His glory, but there first had to be suffering before we see the future glory. Let's look at the text, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6. And her rival, speaking of Peninnah, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Okay, it doesn't say how Peninnah provoked her, but she likely said, "Look at my beautiful kids! Look at all the children I have, and you don't have any kids! Ha ha ha! Look at how great they are! Yada yada yada." You know, moms that do this, right? They're always like promoting their own. Their kids are the best, right? Their kids are—they the don't sin like my kids. They're sinless, right? They're—they're—they're they're, they're cuter than your kids. They're smarter than your kids. They're certainly more athletic, and they got more going on in their life and more promise. Now, if I believe that about. Jesus, dude, okay, that might be true, but that doesn't mean I'm going to rub it in your face, right? It's okay to think highly about our kids, but don't be a penina provoking other mothers and pointing the finger and showing how much greater you have it than them. This is what penina did. It wasn't okay. So we see that Hannah in response to this, it says she wept and she couldn't eat. Hannah, remember, she received a double portion from Elkanah and she couldn't even eat. She was so sick to her stomach. Not only can she not have a child, not only is the whole culture against her, this woman that she has to live with, this other wife of Elkanah keeps provoking her. She's upset. She's sorrowful. So look what happens. Verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Elkanah wasn't able to provide for all her needs. He's a spiritual man. He's a faithful man. He loves the Lord. Giving her a double portion. They're not going hungry in this family. But yet there was still something that Hannah needed and Elkanah couldn't provide it. Only the Lord could provide this. See, sometimes whether it's our moms or our spouses, there are certain things that only the Lord can provide for them. We, we can't fulfill their needs completely. We can't be their saviors uh, on any level close to what Jesus is. Elkanah had to come to the reality that he couldn't give her everything her heart longed for. So she responds in verse 9. Look what she does. So Hannah arose After they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. She recognized Elkanah couldn't provide this specific thing for her, this child. So she goes straight to the Lord, but she doesn't just go to the Lord. It's important to note the state that she's in when she goes to the Lord. See, God brought her to a place of brokenness. It says she wept in anguish. This is point number three. God brings mom to brokenness. God brings mom to brokenness. God often makes life hard for mom. Sometimes life is harder for moms than it is for dads. I'm not saying that that's all the case, but I've seen that happen in many scenarios. And why does he do that? He's trying to seriously overwhelm moms so they get to that point that they recognize they can't do it without him. They they can't do it without Jesus, nor were they meant to. God never desired moms to be moms without his support, without, without his saving hand, without his guidance. So easy for moms, for any of us, to get so overwhelmed with things. But God uses that to bring us to that state of brokenness. Jesus, he says it like this in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor... And are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes moms will bear a burden that they can't simply bear. And the Lord reminds them, you don't have to bear this burden on your own. That's why I came. That's why I died on the cross. Your yoke is heavy, but my yoke is easy. Your burden is too much for you, but your burden to me, it's light. And I put a light burden on you. And sometimes we can see our moms or our spouses come to this place of, of brokenness and like, like, what's, what's going on with you? I'll tell you another embarrassing story. So sometimes, you know, like, Lord, obviously he challenges Elizabeth, he challenges both of us, uh, but I'll come home from the gym or work or whatever and, and I'll see Elizabeth like, you know, with the face, like the the frown, like what's like the sad thing. And I'll say, what's wrong with you? Now, it comes off like something's actually wrong with her. I'm learning, okay? When you say that, it makes me feel like something is wrong with me, like actually wrong with me. And that's not what I meant. I I mean what's just what's wrong, what's going on. Like, I, I don't know anything that happened. But even when I don't see the external circumstances that are driving her to the feet of Jesus. Sometimes it's not even external circumstances. Sometimes it's internal circumstances. And the Lord is just continuing to bring her to that state of brokenness. And I have to recognize it like, hey, just like me, she's a work in progress. And God takes her through some difficult times sometimes. Maybe it's just struggles in her mind. It could be struggles externally. But whatever the case may be, we got to recognize, you know, tendency. This isn't true for everyone. I know a lot of guys that are more emotional than their wives, but Sometimes we see moms get a little more emotional, right? I'm not saying moms are all emotional, but sometimes they deal with things differently. And we as sons or daughters or husbands or whatever, got to look at that and and go, man, uh, what's the Lord doing here? And present our communication in such a way that there's not like that added burden, that added measure of brokenness, because the Lord is doing a tremendous work. And sometimes... We can just make it harder. So, Hannah, she's brought to this place of brokenness, but look what she says in verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. See, through brokenness comes surrender. She says, I'm the maid servant of the Lord, meaning I'm in submission to you, God. You got it. You got my life. Whatever you want to do, hey, I'd like for you to have uh, help me have a child and open my womb. But ultimately, God, your your will be done. And that's the reality. God He breaks moms to bring them to that place of surrender. That's the next step. And he desires this, yes, for all of us. But as we speak of moms, you remember, it was Jesus Christ himself. If God sees fit to bring moms to a state of brokenness and surrender, and he certainly saw fit to bring his son to this plate of, place of brokenness and surrender. So much so, what did Jesus say in the garden? In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he says this, Hours before he dies, He's weeping he's praying blood is coming out of his forehead. He's praying with such anguish and he said hey father if it's your will let this cup pass from from me. Nevertheless not my will but yours be done. See this is a goal that Jesus has for every one of us that we would come to this place of surrender. This is the plan that I have for my child. Okay. I want him to go to this school. I want him to get this education. I want him to be involved in this thing. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, what do you want for my child? This is my idea of what comfortable living looks like. This is my idea of what success looks like. But regardless of what I think, Lord, what do you think about this? God, this is my view of beauty, okay? And I'm not feeling really beautiful right now, but Lord, help change my mind to see things how you see things because you call me beautiful. See, sometimes we don't always see things the way the Lord sees things. And God, in an effort to get us to that place where our perspective is shifted, he drives us to a place of surrender. This is exactly what God does and he's getting the exact response that he desired. So she says, I'll give him to the Lord, verse 11, All the days of his life. Now... Technically, Samuel was a Levite. Uh, and being a Levite, he was to serve the Lord for 20 years, okay, from 30 to 50. We see that in Leviticus chapter 4. But she's going above and beyond. She says, no, he's going to serve you the rest of his life from the day, like from the time I bring him to the temple, after I wean him to the rest of his life, he's going to be a servant of the Lord. Not only that, she also says this, and no razor shall come upon his head. She vowed that he would be a Nazarite, which was even more intense. Usually men, they'd make a vow to be a Nazarite for like uh, months or a year or a couple years. You weren't allowed to have wine. You weren't uh, allowed to um, touch dead animals. Not that like people are like, oh, I want to touch dead animals, right? Couldn't shave your head, uh, and there are some more qualifications and requirements that are listed in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, very few times do we see in Scripture someone uh, vowed to be a Nazarite from uh, begin, the beginning of their life to the, their end. We see it with Samuel. We also see it with Samson. But Hannah, somehow, some way, knowing the Lord's desire for this child, she commits him for life to be a Nazarite. Look what happens. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now, Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I am, dr- I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Eli, who was the high priest at the time, he says, what are you, drunk or something? The way that she was passionately pursuing the Lord. He thought like this is a little overdoing and she corrects him. No, Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm just broken. Like the Lord has broken me and I'm crying out to the Lord. See, Eli, he made the mistake and he thought that she was in no condition to be seeking God. But in God's eyes, she was in the perfect condition. Why? Because once again, she was broken. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. In Matthew 5 3 it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is the first. Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because it all starts there. I gotta recognize that I have poverty of spirit. Or in other words, something's missing in my life. Something's missing in the deepest parts of my soul and my heart i long for something that i cannot provide for myself and what is that it's a relationship with jesus christ He says, you want to enter the kingdom that's all you have to have really is recognize that you're poor of spirit and and you need me and when you ask me to come into your heart yeah you'll get the kingdom of god he says this is the perfect condition of worship to be in poverty of spirit, to recognize you don't got it all together, to recognize our need for him. In fact, David would tell us later on in Psalm chapter 51, in Psalm 51, G, uh, sorry, uh, David is in a state of repentance after the whole Bathsheba Uriah fiasco, which we'll get into this Wednesday. Uh, he says this in Psalm 51 verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Regardless of the things that we do for God, the first thing the Lord's looking at is our hearts. Are we in that state of brokenness? Are we in that state of humility? Are we recognize how, recognize how desperately we need Jesus? Sometimes, whether it's a mom or anyone else for that matter, especially believers, we fall into that trap where we think we gotta have it all together. We gotta play, everything's gotta be perfect in my life. I gotta put on this appearance that everything's great. But God says, no, I know everything's not that great. And, and if you could just be honest with me and, and confess your brokenness before me, that's something that I can work with. But when you're just pretending like everything's okay and things aren't okay, I, I can't do anything there. It has to start with that poverty of spirit. It has to start with that brokenness. And when you're in that state of brokenness, that's something that I'm able to work with because that's when you're willing to be molded and shaped, encouraged and conformed. First Samuel chapter one, verse 16. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer set. So some way or another, God had to have spoken to Eli that, uh, that this was going to happen, that this prayer that she prayed was going to happen. So he speaks prophetically, yeah, you're going to have this child. And we see it's true because it actually ends up happening. And from those words, this promise from God through Eli, Hannah goes from mourning and being sorrowful, being happy and joyful and content why because she trusted the word of the lord faith comes by hearing and hearing by the lord by by the word of god but it's not just faith joy is a byproduct of faith she recognized this is what's true from god and I'm i'm gonna rest in that i'm gonna meditate on that what is true what is noble what is praiseworthy and as we do that There will be joy. So she walks away, no longer sad. Her countenance is changed. First Samuel chapter one, verse nineteen. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah uh, knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Hannah, she sought God by faith. What does the Bible tell us? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek and see. Hannah, in a state of brokenness and submission and surrender, sought God by faith, and the Lord rewarded her by blessing her with a child. That's point number four. Mom is blessed by God. Mom is blessed by God. And here's the reality. Look at verse 20. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked from him from the Lord. I asked for this child and God delivered on his promise. He blessed me with a child. But guess what? In Psalm 127, verse three, specifically in the NLT, um, New King James uses the word heritage instead of reward, but it's got the same idea. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says this. I'll read it for you. Children are a gift from God. They are a reward from him. Listen to that. So to become a mom is literally a gift from God. Like anyone who has ever been a mom, it's truly, they've been blessed by God. Even if they don't know God, God gave them a blessing. And this is what this blessing says, okay? I'm going to open your womb and I'm going to bring one of my creations through the world in hopes that you would raise them up to go from being one of my creations to being one of my children and how does that happen it happens when moms raise their children in the ways of the lord and they go from oh i'm just one of god's creation to no now i believe in jesus because we see in john chapter one that that's what the requirement is the only requirement to become a child of god is putting our faith in jesus christ whoever accepts him whoever believes in him goes from a creation to a child so think about that that's a a huge blessing for moms, but it's also a huge responsibility. God says, I'm going to trust you with my creation. And my number one goal for my creation is that they would become my children. Why? Because God desires all men to be saved. And all men, they come through a woman every single time. Just by being a mom is to be blessed by God. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 21. <clears throat> now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, and he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. We see Elkanah. We haven't talked a lot about him because it's not Father's Day. But he's a great man. He's a sacrificial man. He loves the Lord. Every year he's going up to provide the yearly sacrifices. See, a mother can go from being a great mother to a greater mother when they have support from a spiritual husband. It's seriously night and day. As great as a mom can be. And I have a great mom for them to become all that God has called them to be. in the role as mom specifically, not just being a woman. Mom, there's the necessity that there has to be that husband, that spiritual leader that comes alongside. That's exactly what Elkanah does. He is leading his wife spiritually. And there's going to be so much fruit that comes from this. Well, just as there's fruit from leading spouses spiritually, there's a lot of bad fruit. When they're not, we see and if you look up statistics, OK, I know we have single parents, um, even in the church, we have single uh, single dads and we have single moms. But when you look at our culture specifically, pretty much across the world, there's more single moms than single dads. So there's so many studies out there when you look at a child that's been raised just by mom. Even if mom is a saint of saints, guess what happens? All these different rates go up. The rate of suicide goes up by like 60%. The rate of crime, them end up, ended up committing crimes, shoots way back up. Uh, the, the, the rate of depression, the rate of dropping out of school... Not that that's the most important thing. I dropped out of school. Um, the rate of all these different things, they, they go way up. Why? When there's not that spiritual father in the household. See, Hannah, as great as a, of a mom she's going to become, she gets to be that much greater because she has the husband that God intended for her. She has the husband that will lead her spiritually. First Samuel chapter 1. Verse 23. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Elkanah gives us a great example. He didn't say, woman, you better take that boy to the temple. I demand it right now. That's not what he said. He's a spiritual leader. He's a faithful guy. But he's not overbearing. He says, do whatever seems best for you. But I want you to know this. I just want you to do what God's asking you to do. I just want you to fulfill the vow that you made to the Lord. Sometimes many people will take the idea that, okay, yes, men are called to be the authority. That doesn't mean that they're greater than women. They're of equal value. God loves men and women exactly the same. No more, no less. It's just that he's given men and women different roles as we study the scripture. But sometimes men, and they would do this in Judaism too, uh, among other religions, a lot of other religions do this, uh, they kind of like de- demean the woman and feel like, um, you know, they're Their opinion is the only opinion that matters. See, being a spiritual leader doesn't mean that you make all of the decisions. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes being a good spiritual leader is allowing other people to make spirit, allowing other people to make those spiritual decisions for themselves. This is what we see with Elkanah. He is a solid spiritual leader in his household, but he's not a dictator. He's not playing that authoritarian role. He's he's leading his wife in love and he's saying, hey, Uh, Babe, this is my heart. I just want you to follow god's word and and do what god's asking you to do But whatever seems good to you in this specific circumstance i'm going to give this one to you This is your decision as long as you know my heart. I believe that you'll honor my heart and that's exactly how he goes about communicating to his wife the text continues first samuel chapter 1 verse 24 Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him uh, to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. So we see after he was weaned, which... Typically, in that culture, in that time period, would be, would have been about two to three years, okay? Samuel's likely two to three years old. When she finally brings him to the Lord, she brings him with sacrifices, offerings to God. Now, um, we can't assume that she provided the sacrifices per se, um, technically, uh, elkanah was a priest too he did the actual ceremony if you will most likely as he did in the past but the point is we see hannah providing sacrifices to the lord and moms if we can say one thing at least my mom she is so self-sacrificial mom's are almost always putting themselves last, putting others first. And that's something that needs to be commended and recognized, whether they're providing sacrifices for the Lord. and I'm not talking about animals, okay? Jesus was the final sacrifice. But whether it's sacrificing time, effort, energy, whatever the case is for the Lord, yes, that's first and foremost. But also we see moms, they sacrifice for their families like no other. This was the kind of mom that Hannah was. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. She surrendered her child to God. It's point number five. God calls moms to surrender her children. God calls moms to surrender her children. Why? Because all children are gods before their moms. That's the case every time. They actually belong to God. Really, he's lending them to you. They belong to the Lord. He was the one that created them. Yes, he used your body to do it, but you weren't like going with your brain like, uh, maybe there's a limb and there's a limb and here's some eyes. No, right? It was God that did that supernaturally through your body because they're his. He says in Jeremiah chapter 1, I formed you in the inward parts. I literally formed you while you were in your mother's womb. You're mine. You're mine. And it's easy for us to forget this as parents. And we say my children, and they are our children. But ultimately, they're gods. And I think even more for moms than dads, at least in my experience, that this one's harder for moms. The surrendering their child. To the Lord and just giving it over to God. Now, this doesn't mean like come and just drop your kids off at church one day and give them to me, okay? It's not what I'm asking you to do, or send them off to the Vatican or something like that. That's that's not what we're saying here. Um, not that your uh your child needs to become a, a, a some type of priest or pastor or something like that. Uh, but the point is operating in that state of surrender, recognizing what's God's and what's yours. See, God has a role and moms have role. See, God's role is to mold, to shape, to draw people unto himself. It's mom's role to raise the child in the way of the Lord. Not alone. Dad needs to be a part of that too. But see, moms, they got to recognize and we have to be reminded That all I can do is do my best. I can just do my best for my child. Ultimately, it's up to the Lord. You know, the seeds that were planted, the training, the discipline, all these different things. My faith just can't be their faith. They have to have their own faith. And they have to recognize how good God is. They have to come to that place as Hannah did where she was broken in spirit before she really gave it all to the Lord. Moms aren't their children's saviors. They're they're not their messiahs. And sometimes I find, even my mom, fall into this trap. Like, I need to, I need to, yeah, we need to protect. But, But there's only so much that moms can do. And sometimes, in mom's effort... To be the savior, they make things worse, and they enable their kids, and they're not surrendering them to God, and and there's some devastating things that can come from that. I'll share from personal experience. Many of you know this story, but I'll share it again because I think it's applicable. Uh, before I finally got saved and got clean. Um, I was supposed to go to this place called Calvary House. I did my interview. My mom was sitting in the next room, okay? This place, very strict. You're getting up at four in the morning. You're working till six. No cigarettes, which might not be a big deal for you, but it was for me at the time. Uh, no relationships with girls, like nothing. Just all guys. You're working all day long. Intense, intense, intense. Um, so I'm ready. Like the Lord's already starting to do a work in my heart. I'm not saved yet, but I know he's like real. And he's pointing me to Jesus, And my mom's in the other room. I get in the car with her, and she says, I can understand why you wouldn't want to go to this place. And I was like, I'm taking that and milking my time, right? So I milked my time a couple more weeks. Within those two weeks, I ended up overdosing twice, It took my mom 25 years to finally surrender me to the Lord. You know, I don't know what would have happened if she would have done that earlier. Probably would have been in the same position. But I will say this. My mom surrendering me to the Lord was the best thing she ever did for me. When she stopped getting in the way between me and Jesus and trying to be my Savior, the best thing she's ever done for me. I have a great mom. Many of you know her. She's an amazing mom. Always has been. But she can't be my Savior nor can we be the savior for our children. Hannah recognizes that. She fulfills her vow. She dedicates Samuel to the Lord, literally gives him to the work and service of God. And look at how they respond. The end of verse 28, it says, so they worship the Lord there. We don't see Hannah weeping or mourning. There are probably some tears, right? Like when your kid goes off to college, imagine if they're two or three years old. Hey, see you and whenever <laughs> I'm back. But it says they worshiped. See, Hannah, she recognized how faithful God had been. He spoke a word. He delivered on that promise. He gave her the gift of this child. Gave her two, three years to spend with this child. But the rest of the time, he was serving the Lord. And this is how we should always respond to the Lord's faithfulness in our life. It should bring us to a place of worship. See, he's been faithful to you one way or another. If you were born in this world, you had a mom. Maybe you still have a mom. Maybe you lost your mom. But moms are something that we should be thankful for, even if you don't have the best relationship with your mom, even if you had a falling out, even if it's, hey, it's not even good for you to be around your mom because of the way she's living or whatever the case may be Today, We recognize God's love for moms, how he blesses moms, the trials that he walks moms through, the hardship, the patience that moms need to endure, and the surrender. See, God, he has a special place and plan for moms across the board. Some moms submit to that plan. Sadly, other moms don't. But the plan doesn't change in the sense that God does have a plan. And he loves moms. And he wants to bless them, but also, he often takes them to that state of brokenness before they seek the blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for... For moms, God, those that have gone away to be with you, those that have passed, um, Lord, those that are still here, um, God, the the role they play uh, is heavy. And sometimes we... Forget and we don't give them enough credit and we get so stuck in what we're doing that we uh, neglect what they're doing. Lord, I pray once again today that you would bestow a special blessing on all the moms, God, that more than anything they would know how much you love them. As we saw, Elkanah could only do so much, but there are certain things that only God can do for moms, Lord. And we just pray that you would show up and meet each and every mom right where they're at, Lord. And you would also continue to encourage us and Challenge us to help us walk in a way that we appreciate our moms, whether it's through prayer, communication, gifts, blessings, time, whatever the case may be. Lord, speak to us personally about how we're supposed to uh, be grateful and thankful for our moms. In Jesus' name, amen.